powerful collaborations, cutting-edge science, and curious minds coming together for a glimpse of the future. Stay tuned as we look at the latest updates on some of the most promising technology projects. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Ballant from Technicon, and today we will look at the EPIC project once again. EPIC is a European effort with eight partners from seven different countries. Partners include SMEs, industrial concerns, research institutions, and universities. Like many other current technology projects, EPIC is here to ensure that the things that work great now will also work in the future. In the case of EPIC, the focus is on forward error correction. Today we speak with John Jimenez and Timo Lenik Emden, both from Krianik in Germany. Krianik designs and delivers complex signal processing functions for communication systems. We'll start with John. Can you break things down for us a bit? Who needs forward error correction? Well, actually, we all need forward error correction, even, uh, even though we don't notice it. Uh, what that means is whenever we're transmitting data over any sort of uh, digital communication, that data has to, go, uh, to travel through a medium. And more often than not, this is a noisy medium and data gets, gets distorted. Uh, what for error correction does is it adds some redundancy to this information so it could be corrected at the other end without, uh, without needing to retransmit the information or without need, needing to retransmit more often the information. That's basically what it's all about. So if you're using a smartphone, if you're using internet, uh, there's four air correction in the background working for you, making your communication as reliable as possible. Yes, right. Every, every kind of digital transmission uses forward error correction. That means um, every time you uh, transmit any digital data, error correction is an is a essential part of it. So it sounds like this is something that it's it's a process that has to be there, although nobody really sees it. It's just the end result is that people get their data, people get their uh, voice coming across a telephone uh, in an error-free fashion. Is that right, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not completely error-free. I mean, some errors come here and there that's unavoidable because of the nature of things. But uh, the goal is to make it as reliable as possible. And um, yeah, it's just a transparent process that happens uh, without us noticing it. So without error correction, we wouldn't be able to communicate, essentially. Timo? Yes, right. Or, or, or things would take a lot longer anyways. Uh, um, yeah, let's say or, or, or you, you can sort about this like old uh, analog telephone wire. These had no error correction, of course. But uh, everything which is done uh, in, the, in the digital world must be protected by forward error correction. How long has forward error correction uh, been in use? I would say as, as long as digital communications have been around. The, the theory behind it dates back to 1948, actually, from a couple of scientific papers by Claude Shannon and Alan Turing, which are uh, respectively part of uh, information theory and uh, in computer science. And these theories have been around from, from the 40s. And um, now that the digital, digital communication era has arrived, uh, people notice that this, 
is actually something useful for, for this kind of application and they, they've been applying it to it. So giving a, a precise date on uh, the arrival of firmware correction is a little bit difficult to answer. Okay. But the situation now is that we're moving into this era where we have super high speed communication um, and data transfer rates. And the forward error correction codes that we've been using in the past just simply won't work. Is that right, John? Well, yes, no. It's not that they won't work. It's just that the last couple of decades, we've been relying on, on technology scaling to make things faster. What that means is that we're relying on the uh, actual chips and transistors getting smaller so, uh, to get things faster, but we've actually never gone into the architecture and algorithms themselves in a way that we can refine them, that we can make them more efficient about it. And that's the actual goal of Epic to make them, to optimize these architectural uh, and algorithms, uh, algorithmical approaches so that we could take more advantage of the technology that we have and also, and also leverage uh, more throughput and, and, and benefits from, from, from this technology. John, you're a project partner in Epic. Can you tell us um, specifically what your role is in Epic? Well, uh, we are a SME uh, in the project. Our core market is actually a intellectual property for uh, digital communication. So this seemed like a very uh, appropriate project for us. And in, in Epic, we actually investigated one of the um, types of codes that we described called LDPC codes. Uh, more specifically, a somewhat new algorithm called spatially coupled LDPC codes, and that's something that we wanted to um, to investigate in this project. Also, we've made some FPGA demonstrations in a couple of conferences, uh, showcasing the results of the project. So, for instance, last year we had a presentation in the EUCNC in Valencia, Spain, where we showcase some of the some of the results that we had in the project. So that's basically our um, um, one of the tasks that we have around here in, in the project. So Timo, tell me your specific role in the Epic project. I'm the technical manager of this project. Okay, and this is a project that has uh, many partners from many different European countries. And is it your job to sort of pull them all together and make sure they're working in the same direction? Uh, <laughs> no, that's a part of the technical lead. My job is to manage the project within Creonic. I see. Okay. Yeah. To uh, to make sure that we have all, all resources, that the people... That the people work in the in the right direction. That the communication with all the partners works fine. And and if we have problems in administrative stuff or technical stuff, I see. Based on what you're telling me, it sounds like Creonic is able to bring a lot to the table. Then, when it comes to Epic, in terms of technology experience, and this is this is what you do actually. So yes, that's at least that's what that's what we hope for. <laughs> okay. Okay. I wanted to ask you also in in these types of projects many times there are use cases and these use cases are sort of real life situations where this technology might be used um and many times these use cases help the average person to understand a little bit more about the project do you have such use cases in epic john 
Yeah, we have identified a couple of use cases uh, for this project, and um, they actually can be uh, classified in terms of infrastructure and consumer electronics. Uh, I guess the average user would, would be more familiar with the, with the latter, uh, specifically um, um, something that, that we found to be pretty new would be the, these VR headsets that are coming, uh, coming about in later years. And I should mention VR is uh, virtual reality. Exactly. This, mm -hmm. this new things of augmented reality, virtual reality, um, the video, the, the video input that you need is actually so demanding because you have to render um, constantly, sometimes unexpectedly, because the users are constantly moving and changing the environment. So this is a very computationally heavy and, and data heavy um, uh, application. And what, what that means is that it would need a lot of throughput, would, a lot of information uh, would need to be transferred very fast for this kind of application. So, so v, VR sounds like a, um, one of the ideal use cases for this project. Also, um, uh, if uh, as throughput gets uh, considerably uh, higher, uh, that would mean that several buses in, in your uh, personal computer would be would get uh, would benefit from this as well, uh, and even smartphones. And uh, from the infrastructure perspective, that would mean the cellular network would also get faster. Uh, we're hearing a lot about five um, G and later days, and um, what that means is that. Connectivity will get improved, so you could uh, more people can get uh, a reliable service um, in uh, in larger areas, and you can actually um, download and upload information much faster than 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 we used to. So, in order to to support that, the network has to have a a very robust backbone in order to transmit all of this. Uh, huge amounts of information. So that is, that's something that we also identified as being a potential candidate for, for an ethic use case. The use case, which is most interesting for Quionic, is this HDS, this high throughput satellite stuff. Because um, we see there actually a, a large demand in increasing the network capacity of a satellite. And um, satellite um, communication is a very essential part to, to um, establish uh, transmissions and links around the globe. And uh, everybody wants to, to increase the uh, data rates on the client side and the satellite network, which are already launched and, and which will become larger and larger in the next years, will play uh, a major role in reaching this uh, this goal of a of a global of a global high speed network which is available everywhere and every time. Okay, and you often refer to beyond five G speeds. Uh, in fact, you are working on forward error correction for beyond five G speeds. What does this mean in terms of time? I mean, when is it that we we will see the fruits of your labor in day to day life? Well, it's hard to tell precisely when. I mean, 5G, it's uh, currently being deployed. It, it, it passed already the standardization uh, period. And as you can see, the, the 5G 
networks have been, are being uh, slowly but steadily deployed, uh, at least in Europe. And um, but currently, I mean, from from the discussions and material that's being presented in the recent conferences, uh, uh, although 5G hasn't been de- completely deployed yet, uh, people are already talking about what's next. Uh, so people are talking about 5G, uh, 6G, or even 7G, which is basically beyond 5G. So I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some standardization efforts uh, are being done, are currently being done for for 6G and 7G. So I, let's say a couple of years, five years, I, uh, I would expect the, the deployment of this new beyond 5G technologies, or at least that's my, um, that's my guess as, uh, to the matter. Okay, but there's nothing really solid. I mean, it just sort of depends on the way technology moves. Is that right? Yeah, basically. But taking into account the current tre- uh, trends, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if beyond 5G gets deployed in a couple of years. Okay. And I was just looking on the website for the for the Epic project, and I see that the project is actually done yes and okay so how are things i mean how do you feel you know could you say at this point that this was a successful project or we still have a lot more work to do or is is it too is it too early to really say much well there's always there's always going to be uh work to do and that's actually a good thing we would want uh, want things to continue to be continuously improved, but I think we are actually very um, satisfied with, with the results that we've had. Um, we only had a, a minor um, step back in the, in the last couple of months because of the current uh, situation with uh, with the pandemic. But other than that, I, I think we were very we're very satisfied with our results, and we hope that we can actually. Um, improve upon them in future projects or future endeavors. Timo? I feel very good because we had a lot of interesting problems to solve and we gained a lot of, of experiences and uh, new knowledge. And I think also that the, that the people have been worked really, really hard on this project and and they really enjoyed the difference to all day business in sense of communicate with other companies and other research institutes. And how does this work in a project like this? I mean, your team has put forth quite a bit of effort to accomplish the goals of Epic. When Epic goes away, then do you continue with these efforts or are they funneled somewhere else or is there a possibility for a second epic project along the way um i couldn't tell yet but we're we're actually we're actually in in some discussions about uh whether or not we we continue some of the partners continue in in separate projects you know some of these partners are academic uh um, institutions a couple of universities so of course they would like to continue uh from our perspective as an SME, we would also uh, be glad to continue in, in a project like that, or so maybe a different endeavor, maybe leveraging a couple of uh, IP products in the market. So, of course, we, we would like to, to, to work upon the, the work that's been done in, in Epic so far. Um, there have been some discussions, as I said, 
and continuing upon this uh, work. Um, but I, w- I wouldn't be able to tell for sure uh, how would, uh, that would shape out. I see. Timo, let me get your assessment. Could you propose a second project at some point after Epic is done? Yes, that's of course possible. In general, we, we try to keep in contact with the partners to contact them if we have some special props, problems which are related to their special knowledge. Okay. Yeah, I guess we'll see down the road. Um, I wanted to ask you too, John, um, a project like this, which consists of eight partners from seven different countries, uh, surely faces some challenges or roadblocks. Um, can you point to anything specific and how did you overcome these challenges? Uh, well, yes. Um, mostly, that's, uh, I would say that that uh, goes down to coordination. Where, um, sometimes it's, ha- it's hard to coordinate uh, some efforts between uh, all of us being in different countries. But that's that's just a minor roadblock, and actually I wouldn't consider it uh, to be such a big deal. I would say we've been technical, for instance, has done a, a very good job in coordinating the project. The roadblocks that we've had, for for instance, would be accessing uh, to some specific uh, technology resources that we would very much like to to use for our research, but we couldn't because of uh, logistics or legal reasons. But other than that, I think we we've had big challenges or threatening challenges, I would say. We, we don't have something like that. Okay. So everything seemed to move along as scheduled. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Okay. Uh, is there anything you would like to add about Epic? Well, I think, uh, as I said, uh, it's been a very successful project. All of the partners are also very satisfied with our results. We're all very happy with the outcomes that we've gotten. And we're hoping to work again in a similar or maybe a continuation of the project if things shape out accordingly. You know, this is an important project. Even though people can't see it or touch it, it's important that you're doing this work. So thank you for your efforts there. And thanks for pushing this project through and giving us what we need to continue on in the next generation of communications. And thanks for talking to us about it today on this podcast. Thanks, Peter. Well, thank you for having us as well. For more information about the EPIC project, check out their website, epic-h2020.eu. This podcast has been brought to you by Technicon. The EPIC project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Program under grant agreement number 760150.